as Gwen is coming up to read for us today, I wanted to, I know, sorry, I had you going back and forth. As Gwen's coming up to read for us today, I did want to uh, introduce our guest speaker, Miss Tara Davis. Tara is the Bible teacher at Cornerstone and also does so many other things there at the school, too numerous to list, but she has become such an important part in the lives of the students there and um, for the last year, I guess, it seems, or maybe around about that time, Tara's been running a, uh, leading a Bible study on Wednesday nights at my house with uh, youth of this church and, uh, and a lot of the youth of Cornerstone as well. And she has been so invested in their lives and has been uh, so instrumental in helping them be transformed into the people that God would have them to be. So we're so honored that she's here to bring God's word to us today. And uh, please know that we are praying for you and excited to hear uh, what God has for us. So Gwen, if you're ready to go ahead and read. Thank you. Good morning. Today's sermon lesson comes from John 21, verses 1 through 23. Please stand if you're able. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because to him, he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and said to the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the, the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he will remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he will remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the word of the Lord. morning. I don't know if I should be offended or thankful for this step here. What are you trying to say, Pastor Joel? Uh, maybe. This is what it feels like to see everyone. Ahoy, ahoy, okay. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm thankful for this morning. And I'm thankful for your spirit in this place. I'm thankful for the promise and the hope of your word. And God, my one desire is that you would hide me in the shadow of the cross of Christ this morning. That you would engrave your word upon our hearts. That you would bring conviction where it's needed. That you would bring refreshing. That you would bring encouragement. God, that we would not walk out of here the same today. We give this space to you. We give you free reign in this house, God, to do what you're going to do today. And we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I love this passage in John, and I've been chewing on it for a few weeks, and uh, there, there's several things that strike me about it, um, and in this text we see two different kinds of love, the perfect love of Jesus and the not-so-perfect love of Peter. It's focused on the perfect love of Jesus that calls out the greater good in Peter, and it reminds us of the incredible opportunities that each of us have while waiting for the return of Christ. Love measures opportunity. It does not weigh the burden or count the cost. Even though the boat wasn't far from shore, I in the ESV it says two cubits, and so I got on my handy assistant Google and I said, what is a cubit? <laughs> and it's 100 yards, the length of a football field. When was the last time you stayed up all night 
and after being exhausted, swam an entire length of a football field just to get to the one whom you loved. See, it's not that the disciples who stayed in the boat did anything wrong. But Peter, Peter was compelled by his love for Jesus. Love does not weigh the burden or count the cost, but rather it measures opportunity. The disciples in the boat, they chose convenience and comfort over sacrifice. Reminds me of the prayer of confession we read this morning. Choosing lives of comfort and convenience. I crave consistency. I don't like change. And if there's anything that this last year and a half has taught all of us, you just got to roll with it. I think it's entertaining now to have a calendar and to just write anything down, you know. Praise God for erasable pens now, I guess. Why did Peter swim the entire length of a football field after being up all night and exhausted? He was compelled. He was compelled. He knew what, or rather who, waited for him on the shore. And I don't think it was the grilled fish. It'd take a lot more than grilled fish to get me to swim up there. He was compelled. He saw the one who, whom he loved. And we all know Peter. Peter was the one to deny Christ right before his crucifixion. How would our lives of service to God and others look different if we chose to react as Peter instead of the others? How often do we turn down opportunities because they're just not convenient for us? I wonder how things would have turned out had Jesus, when faced with the cross, would have said, you know, it's just not a great time for me right now. Perhaps the reason that some of us are stuck sitting instead of swimming is because we don't really know who waits for us. Instead of compelled, we've grown complacent. Instead of convicted, we've chosen inconvenienced. Instead of Christ-focused, we're drowning in self-preservation. I had a professor in college when I graduated, oh, a couple weeks ago. <laughs> That's bad when it's been so long you don't remember the year. I think it was 2008. And this professor of missions said, whatever you do, avoid self-preservation at all costs. I said, what in the world does that mean? That wasn't in one of my classes. And now I'm beginning to understand. Our lives really have nothing to do with us at all. As a matter of fact, if we live our lives to make much about us, we've lived a lie and we've wasted an incredible opportunity. The glory and honor of Christ and a God who saves is only found in the cross of Christ, not in our accomplishments or degrees or successes. Love is intolerant of excuses, but demands obedience. After fishing all night, can you imagine the sheer exhaustion? At this point in time, their fearless leader and faithful friend had been killed. I wonder if they had had flashbacks of seeing their beloved crucified. 
mercilessly beaten. I wonder if they had lost all hope, not really sure if God would keep his word. If what Jesus told them would happen would actually happen had they grown weary and discouraged. But after fishing all night and catching a record-breaking amount of fish, which I think it's funny that Jesus told them where to throw the net. Telling a man how to fish better is like telling a man how to grill the steak better, right? Us women know we just step away and let them do their thing. And if it's not good, you speak by faith and say, babe, that was the best steak ever. (laughs) Then when he falls asleep during football, you go and get a sandwich, right? That's not how it works. (laughs) But Peter does the unthinkable. As soon as John tells him it's Jesus, Peter suits up and swims to shore. And when Jesus told them to bring fish they had just caught, the ESV translation says that it was Peter who went to the boat and got the fish for Jesus. Obedience. Our love for Christ is measured by our direct obedience to what he has said. And slow obedience is disobedience. I tell young people all the time, one of the most powerful prayers you can pray is, God, give me a heart that's quick to obey. Quick to obey. It doesn't matter if it's picking up a piece of trash in the bathroom on the floor or if it's giving five bucks to the homeless guy. God, give me a heart that's quick to obey. Peter ran and got the fish. It's amazing. The dude just swam the length of a football field and Jesus says, bring me some fish. And he didn't sit there and twiddle his thumbs. He didn't sit there catching his breath like I probably would be. (gasps) John! Right? He didn't sit there and wait for someone else to do it. It says that Peter went and got the 153 fish. See, love demands obedience. It doesn't matter what it is. He didn't stay on the shore basking in the presence with Jesus. And I'm a big believer in that. We ought to enjoy the presence of God. Wherever we are, driving in our car, in our office, in the shower, in the grocery store. Continually walking with God, walking by faith. Emmanuel, God with us. The very presence of the living, breathing, true, good God with us. We ought to enjoy that. But you can't just stay in that place forever. You can't just stay on your knees forever. At some point, you've got to get up and you've got to keep enjoying that presence and you've got to do something. You've got to walk by faith. Jesus spoke, Peter instantly obeyed. The ultimate gut puncher, as I like to call it, is in John 14, 15, where Jesus tells the disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not you will wear a Jesus shirt. If you love me, you will do what I've said. It's a gut puncher. We can say all day long, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. We can sing, we can have scripture memorized, but if we're not obeying what he has said, do we really love him? Do I really love him? And third, love always resurrects others. Love always resurrects others. You cannot possibly resurrect others when you yourself are still dead. You cannot possibly give away what you yourself do not have. Love is quite contagious, isn't it? 
This church has been very active in this community for years. I've watched as you've showed up to feed hungry teenagers at House of Faith on Monday nights, most of whom probably never said thank you. Probably heard some other words, actually. I've watched as, you do, as you've done different things and served in different ways in a community here in San Angelo, one of the most active churches in this town, serving others. Love is contagious. Aren't you glad we don't have to mask up to protect ourselves from love? <laughs> what a world that would be. In this important conversation between Jesus and Peter, Jesus restores or rather resurrects Peter. I wonder each day that I'm blessed to stay six feet above the earth whom God will place in my life that I can help to resurrect with a simple act of love. I drive for Lyft, it's like Uber here. And uh, and we have so many lost people in San Angelo. So many. People who are drunk and passed out in my back seat. I'm just driving, praying to hear Jesus break the chains of alcoholism off of them. I've picked up LGBTQ, whatever it is, transgender, people who have no idea who they are. And more importantly, no idea who God is. That there's a God who loves them just as they are. They don't have to clean anything up or change anything. God loves them. So many people right here in San Angelo. Sometimes it's a student who's lost their smile. Sometimes last weekend I picked up a blind lady. The whole way to her house, she told me about how embarrassed she was because she fell at Walgreens, not once, but twice. And she said, nobody helped me. Nobody helped me. Right here in San Angelo. It's the simple things. It's doing the everyday small things with diligence and delight. God, thank you that I have children who I can clean up their vomit today. Because somewhere out there, there are, are people who long to be parents and don't have children. God, thank you that I hopefully get to impact the next generation. Give me wisdom. It's been a long time since I was a teenager and a lot has changed. God, thank you for the overwhelming need at the food bank. Help us to fill every need. You know, David's alarm clock didn't wake up. You know how you can set the alarm clock? Mine often says, don't be late, exclamation point. And on really exciting days, last day of school, two exclamation points, right? You might pit doctor appointment or something in there. But if David had an iPhone or an Android and he set a digital alarm, you know his alarm that day didn't say, wake up and slay giant? That was not on his radar. David simply was faithful in taking the cheese and crackers as his father instructed him to check on his brothers. And when he was faithful with a small thing, God used him to do a really big thing. God isn't asking you or I to rescue the world. He's just asking us to be faithful with whatever little small thing he has given us. 
the little boy with a sack lunch. You remember this story? He didn't spend the morning worrying if his sack lunch is lunchable of fish sticks and loaves, perhaps, would be enough for the masses. He simply offered up what he had when there was a need. And God blessed it and broke it and multiplied it. And it's one of the greatest miracles in scripture. He didn't have to pack or hire a catering company to feed 5,000. He just simply gave away his sack lunch. Noah didn't ask for a barometric report when God told him to build the massive ark. Nor do we find him complaining about the lack of tools or resources. He simply obeyed. God's call, done only by God's grace, will never run out of God's strength. God will never ask us to do something and not give us exactly what we need to accomplish it. If he did, that would make him a punk, and he is not a punk God. He is a faithful, good loving, true father who loves you and I. And here's the beauty and the mystery and the wonder of it. God doesn't even need us to do anything. He stands alone as God, as supreme and sovereign and overall. He's the God of the unshakable government and he reigns forever and ever. And it says that the whole earth is full of his glory and all of creation groans and longs for the day of his return. So you can relax a little bit. He doesn't need you to do something. He invites you to be a small part of his story. There is no greater story to be a part of. There is no greater author than the author and finisher of our faith. God always matches our not enough with his more than enough. And that's when the miraculous happens. You parents, I'm sure you can remember the first time you had a child. How many tears and sleepless nights you were so scared and worried. And over time, you just learn to trust him, right? And fourth and finally, we are not finished yet. It's one thing to retire from a career, but incredibly dangerous to retire spiritually. Are you still in the fight? The fight of good faith? Can the Lord count on us? Are we spending more time talking about problems or taking action? Social media is on fire, man. On fire. And God didn't say, people will know that you're my disciples by the way you effectively argue on Facebook. Boy, if it did, golly. He didn't say people will know that you're my disciples by the way you effectively and sarcastically use gifs and memes to put down another. He didn't say people will know that you're my disciples by whose sign you have in your front yard. It has grieved me in the last year and perhaps many of you, to see the outlash on social media among God's people. Like little children, 
like little spoiled brats trying to win the argument of the day while people are dying and spending forever and ever eternally damned to hell and separated from the love of God the Father. What are we doing? Jesus said, people will know that you are my disciples by the way you love each other. Can others see and hear the love of Christ in us and on us and through us? Am I compelled or have I grown complacent? We just celebrated Resurrection Sunday. And I hope it's something you celebrate daily, not just yearly. And it's interesting to note that they found his grave clothes folded. Did Jesus have exceptional manners and a perfect chore chart as a young lad that carried over into his adulthood? There was more to it. John 27 says this, chapter 20, verse 7. And a face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself folded up. In Hebrew tradition, uh, folded napkins were important. When the master would have a meal, um, the servant would stand by. And if the master took the napkin, you know, wiped the ketchup off or spicy ketchup, whatever the flavor, Chick-fil-A sauce, and he wadded it up and put it on the table, that meant he was through. And the servant could then come and clear the table. But a folded napkin represented something different. The folded napkin represented that the master wasn't finished. So when we find the linen cloth of Jesus folded in the grave, he's not finished. He's not finished. And you and I should not be finished. The folded face cloth of Christ in the tomb was our signal and is our signal that it is not over. He is coming back. In the United States, five people die each minute. In the world, 120 people die each minute. According to reachbeyond.org, more than two billion people have never heard salvation message of Christ. They haven't even had the chance to accept or reject the love of Jesus and his work for them on the cross. And it is estimated that 70,000 people die each day without Christ. The numbers are staggering. Seventy thousand people. What are we doing? We should be losing sleep over this. When someone asks us, "Oh, there's water." No awkward, inappropriate sniffle. Sorry, you can't practice sniffles. When someone asks us to be a part of something, do something. I wish and I hope and I pray that we can be compelled, compelled by our love for Jesus and compelled by love for a lost and dying world. Compelled, convicted, 
courageous, faithful, whatever the task. This is uh, Madame Tumashe. She lives in Haiti. And uh, my sister met her years ago. And uh, her nickname is uh, Haitian Creole for Madame Machete. How would you like that nickname, ladies, right? Madame Machete, I mean, I think that's awesome. But she was given that nickname because of all of her time spent working in the sugar cane fields. Last count, she had 22 grandchildren. When the earthquake hit, she was buried for 15 hours. And after being dug out, she dusted herself off. She said, I have work to do. And she went around helping her neighbors. She was 107 years old when that took place. 107 with no shoes, barely a home to live in, no bank account, I can assure you. And she said, I have work to do. I don't know if maybe this year you have felt buried. It's been a hard year. A lot of you have lost loved ones. You've lost friends. You haven't been able to go see family maybe in the hospital or the nursing home. Maybe your business took a hit with COVID. Maybe you just feel buried. You're tired. You're overwhelmed. I hope that today you have found the folded grave cloth of Christ and encouragement and a reminder that it is not finished. We still have work to do. There is a lost and hopeless dying world who is desperate to know that there's a God who's love, who loves them. What will you do with what you have been given? You don't have to do a lot. It's probably, chances are, a very small thing. When you hear that voice that says, text that person, you're like, oh, that's random. Just text him. When you hear God whisper to give cash to the homeless man on the corner, just give him the cash. Listen, wherever we got off on this argument about I don't want to support his alcoholism and what if he buys drugs or cigarettes, just love him. I mean, do people give you cash and tell you what to spend it on? You know, like since when did we get in this place of judgment against people who look different and smell different? And we think we got to babysit them. Just give them the cash and trust that God is big enough for how they're going to spend it. Be faithful in raising your children to be God-fearing, God-loving young men and women of God. It is not over. Our master Christ will return. And oh, what a glorious day that will be. I personally think we'll all get jetpacks. I tell all my friends, I'm terrible at racing, obviously, unless I'm in my car. But I tell all my friends, I'm going to race you up to heaven. I think it's going to be like a little backpack, and there's going to be like two little like buttons here, and it's just going to be like, Pew! and then just up we go. I'm excited. But not so much excited about the possibility of a jetpack. But I am so excited to see Jesus. And that's the kind of life I want to live. I want to love Jesus so much that it's obvious to everyone around me. 
And not because it highlights me, but I want others when they spend time with me to walk away saying, I want to know Jesus more. Who is this God? There's a quote by C.T. Studd, and we'll close with this. And I want this on my epitaph one day, the day God calls me home. But it says this, my prayer is that all of hell rejoices that I am no longer in the fight. That is who we are called to be as image bearers of Christ, as children of the one true God, as Madame Tumache's in our own community. It's time to dust off and keep working. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your faithfulness to me. Thank you for the countless ways you have loved me and pursued me and forgiven me and chosen me. There is no greater honor than to be your child. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for Madame Tumache. God, I pray that if she's still alive, you would bless her. She would strengthen her. God, I thank you for the Madame Tumaches of this church who have been so faithful for so long. And God, I know they're tired. But God, I pray that you would refresh them and revive them and encourage them. God, thank you that you don't need us to do anything, but you choose us and you allow us to be a small, small part of what you're doing in this earth. God, we do pray for the lost people of this earth. God, I pray that you would have mercy on their sin-sick souls, God. That you would rescue them from the darkness and the grip of sin, God. God, that you would save the lost of St. Angelo, God. And God, that you would use us. God, that we would be compelled by our love for you, Jesus. God, I pray that others would see the light and goodness of you, God, in and through us. Find us faithful, God, for your name and your fame and your honor alone, God. In Jesus' name, amen.